What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Mike Janella Show. It's Mike here and on the line this week because it's NBA season. It's back. It's not preseason anymore. It's not training camp. This is legit. Everything's tipping off. And I wanted to get a guy who is day-to-day in with, I, w- I mean, you'd say the premier NBA franchise worldwide. You know them as the Los Angeles Lakers. You may know this guy as Mark Medina, who is a beat writer for them for the Los Angeles Daily News, a longtime friend of mine. Mark, doing this thing coast-to-coast. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? I still remember the uh, Syracuse days like it was yesterday. Yeah, unfortunately, it's been a lot longer than just yesterday. Um, but we oh, Really? We, We're getting old? Is that what you're saying? We are. Well, you've been, I mean, you've been covering the Lakers now for like four or five years. You've been in this beat writer role with the LA Daily News yeah. for like three now. So, yeah, time flies, dude. You know it. Well, I still think I'm young. I just turned 30, but... You know, with that, I have more wisdom than maybe, uh, you know, when I was bugging you for a assignment <laughs> as a, a staff writer for the Daily Orange at wow. Syracuse. Well, you're in a good place now, um, and that's what we want to talk about. We could spend, obviously, a lot of time talking old war stories, but we're here to talk about what everyone else wants to hear about, and that's the Lakers, and that's covering the NBA, and that's uh, how you got to where you are now, because that I think that's real exciting stuff, um, seeing where you've come from in the last few years, so... We're going to get to all that, um, but first, uh, I mean, this is, you're in a pretty prime prime spot career-wise. I mean, the only reason you're on the show is because of all your Twitter followers. I'm hoping you can send some of them my oh, way. That, yeah, um, I thought it was because, you know, we went to the best school in the country. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, just the social media presence. But no, seriously, man, you've got, I mean, you've got 30,000 people online uh, just seeing what you're tweeting out all day. You have, I don't know what your online hits are or your uniques are for what you see, what you write online. Or what people read in the actual paper, but how's it feel before we get to the actual Laker stuff? And this is the worst reporter question I know. The how's it feel? I feel like I'm losing my street cred here. Um, but I mean, it's got Bayheim will be ripping you. To I know, right I know. I'm not Andy Katz. You just throw me at the locker room. But I mean, to be like you said, you just turned 30, but you're covering the most famous basketball franchise in the world, and you're doing it for you know a huge paper in, in a huge market. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I hate to use you know the old cliche that athletes use, you know, like, uh, you know, preparation meets opportunity. I mean, as you know, we both paid our dues at Syracuse and did a lot of student internships, wrote for the student paper. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a crapshoot. It's kind of a luck of the draw. You know, I sent out about a hundred applications after I graduated in 2008 to a bunch of places. And I think I only got like four or five responses and most of them, no responses at all. Half of them were saying, oh, we love your stuff, but we're in a bad spot right now. We're not hiring. And then others that said, yeah, you're too young. You need more experience. But the LA Times, fortunately, was one of the very few that responded and said, hey, come on board. Uh, We're intrigued with your profile. How about you apply to our two-and-a-half-year internship program? So I did that. That's a long Uh, internship. Yeah, uh, it's kind of high risk, high reward because the LA Times, but even though it's two and a half years, they said, you know, there's no assurances you will stay past two and a half years. There's no assurances you'll even last two and a half years, but it's one of those things you have to take it. So the first six months, you know, I move out there. I do a bunch of rotations in sports and business and entertainment just to kind of get the lay of the land. Got an entry level position six months later and then. Ten months after that, or eight months after that, uh, there was an opening for their Lakers blog position because 
the two guys who left there, Andy and Brian Kaminsky, went to ESPN LA. So I threw my hat in the ring there. You know, it's, hey, it's, I'm only doing online, not paper, but that's kind of the future, and it's the Lakers. So I did that. You know, it was kind of a backup, so to speak, because we had a beat writer who travels full-time, or actually two at, this, at, at that point. Uh, so I was just doing a lot of blogging, shooting video, just at home games and practices. Uh, but I did that for about two and a half years, and then kind of one thing led to another, where the LA Daily News, which is the paper I work for now, had an opening for their beat writing position. I applied for that. It's a bigger role. You get to travel. So I've been doing that for the past three years. You like it? Oh, love it. Um, I think what's nice is that I truly do not have to worry about if the Lakers are good or not. I mean, I think if you talk to people in our field, they're, you know, detached. They don't have a rooting interest. But at the same time, you need the team that you cover to be relevant. And the Lakers, they obviously they're, all, they're always relevant. History, but past two years, they're coming off a year where they went 21 and 61. It's their worst record in franchise history. But as far as the interest goes, it's all time high because a guy named Kobe Bryant's still on the team. There's a lot of hand wringing of, hey, when are the Lakers going to get back into contention? And the Lakers are the main team in Los Angeles. And then you add the fact that LA is a huge market. Um, it, it, I couldn't be, uh, you know, more fortunate in the position that I'm in right now. We'll talk a little bit more about you and kind of your place in the landscape out there in a little bit, but I want to get right to the, the juicy stuff. The Lakers, obviously, the season coming up, and I think by the time this goes live, it may be opening night for them. I'll try and time it out for, for good news peg uh, worthiness, but what's the feeling like for you? I mean, you're seeing these guys in preseason. Obviously, everyone kind of feels like they're probably not going to, it's not going to be their year to even make the playoffs. The West is stacked. Kobe's a huge question mark. You know, Russell coming in, Randall coming back. You don't know what you're getting out of those guys. You're seeing it with your eyes. What? Tell us what you've been seeing, what you expect out of them this year. Well, I don't expect them to make the playoffs. I think they're going to get 30, 35 wins. I know if you talk to the Lakers, their expectation is, hey, Kobe Bryant can stay healthy, still be his effective self, even if it's not how he is in his prime. These young guys like D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson can continue to develop. And, uh, you know, they stay healthy. Their feeling is, hey, they can make the playoffs and then maybe they can make some noise. But I don't think that's realistic. Every single perfect case scenario has to go their way. And on top of that, they're in a very tough Western Conference where they're playing the Golden State Warriors, the Clippers, the San Antonio Spurs the Memphis Grizzlies, the list goes on and on. And when you list all those teams, suddenly all those playoff positions suddenly become full. So I think realistically, uh, it'll be better than last year. Uh, I mean, last year was horrific, but I think it'll still be a challenging year because Kobe's proved he can come back from a major injury. But for the past three years, he has not proved he can stay healthy. And that's nothing against him. He's doing everything right. But he has a lot of miles on this body, uh, and father time yeah, is not forgiving. 38 now, something like that? 36? Uh, he's 37, but you may as well say that he's older than that because, remember, he came straight out of high school, so that's an extra four years. And also, he's been in the playoffs a long time, so all that wear and tear has been catching up to them. And then you talk about those young guys, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, the Lakers coach Byron Scott told me the other day, 
he thinks that they could eventually appear in multiple all-star games. And I think if you talk to people around the league, there is some uh, feeling that that is possible, but where there is not a consensus is how long will that process take? And then you have some guys on this team like Roy Hibbert, Lou Williams, Nick Young, uh, Brandon Bass. They're kind of, they're veterans, but they're also wild cards. Roy Hibbert's coming off a, a year in Indiana where uh, he did not play well. Nick Young is coming off a year that he shot the worst in his career. Uh, Lou Williams got a six man of the year award last year, but he's never known to play defense. So there's a lot of question marks on this team right now. And, and to say that they're going to be able to check the box on all of them, I think is fairly unrealistic. And there's still the whole West, like you said, to contend with. I, I've been hearing a lot of Eastern Conference preview stuff, and it feels like every team that people are talking about, it's like, oh, they'll win more than you expect because, you know, they play in the East. But if you're saying that about every, <laughs> if you're saying that about every single team, there's only X number of wins that can go around. And I feel like in the West, it's the opposite, where if all these teams are supposed to be making the playoffs, it's going to be at the expense of teams like the Kings, the Lakers, the Suns, probably, that get knocked down a couple pegs uh, from what they right. expect internally. Right, and the thing that's going to be more challenging for the Lakers is two things. With them being in the Western Conference, they're seeing the best point guards in the league with Chris Paul, with James Harden, with Stephen Curry, and that's really going to expose how ready D'Angelo Russell is for the NBA. That's number one. And then number two, the Lakers are a horrible defensive team. They were ranked 29th out of 30 last year, and I know that's a staple of Byron Scott. Hey, let's focus on defense, but they did not have the personnel last year. They did upgrade a little bit this year with getting Roy Hibbert. He's a pretty good rim protector. Metal World Peace, Ron Artest, way past his prime, but he does know how to play defense. But they do not have any athletic players that can defend on the wings or in the backcourt. And so those two things, D'Angelo Russell's inexperience and the fact that they don't really have a lot of defensive personnel, I think is going to be exposed right off the bat because of how tough these Western Conference teams are with having good point guards and a lot of athleticism that can get up and down the floor. Talk to me about D'Angelo because he's only 19. Uh, you know, when I looked up his age before this and saw that he was born in 96, uh, I, think it, <laughs> I, I think it grew me a gray hair that I didn't have before. Um, he's coming in and he's playing against the Currys and the Pauls and the Hardens and the Westbrooks in that conference. I mean, when I was 19, I was, I mean, I was drinking, you know, Mike's Hard Lemonades thinking I was cool. He's here trying to play against the best point guards in the world. How's he handling it? You see this guy up close. You're, you're 30 now too, Mark. So you tell me, how's, uh, how's this kid's composure? How's he handling himself? Yeah, I think, I think for him being 19 and mature, um, he has a lot of confidence. I know that when they were looking about who were they going to draft, the whole feeling around the league was in Okafor. There's no way they pass up on size. You remember the Lakers' history. They're all about having those centers like George Mikan, Wilk Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, they, they invented the NBA center, basically. Right, exactly. But the Lakers saw D'Angelo Russell's workout, and it was specifically his second workout that he came in that he just had this commanding presence this aura about him where he knew what to do with the ball. He knew how to orchestrate the offense. And also he was throwing these ridiculous passes that Byron Scott said reminded him of Magic Johnson. 
and of Chris Paul. So I think you add the fact that they saw all those qualities and it doesn't hurt that in today's NBA, you need a really good point guard to keep up with the Joneses. They decided, let's go with this guy. But at the same time, looking at him in summer league and training camp, he does not look comfortable running Byron Scott's offense. It's not a traditional offense. It has some elements of Princeton. Not uh, one of those offenses that just runs kick and roll on every possession. And he throws some passes that I think some of his teammates just aren't prepared for, even though they're really good passes. And he seems to be overthinking too much. And he was a really good outside shooter at Ohio State, but I haven't seen that at all. And all that being said, it's too early to say, hey, this guy's not the number two pick. But I think it illustrates it's going to take time for him to and point guard's always the position that takes the longest. I mean, I remember Chauncey Billups getting waved by the Celtics right away, and he ends up being a Finals MVP a couple of years down the road. Um, you just got a you got a lot to pick up on uh, coming right out of college, especially after uh, just a year. But uh, what do you think his chances are, Rookie of the Year? Um, that's a tough one. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to handle the growing pains well. He has an infrastructure with Kobe. Uh, being on him, and I think he's receptive to learning, but I don't think he's in the position where he can just be the consensus best rookie of the year. I think Jaleel Okafor will do that because the Sixers are absolutely awful. And I think Moutier could have uh, a better chance, Emmanuel Moutier at Denver, because he's going to have a larger role on that team. Even though D'Angelo Russell will have a large role at the Lakers, things will still center around Kobe. Um, Julius Randle is another young guy that could steal some of his spotlight. Um, and again, I just don't know how long it's going to take for him to go through those hiccups. I, I talked with, um, Sacramento Kings coach George Carl, who's been around a lot. You know, he's coached in the NBA for a while now. And he said, when it comes to rookies, you really don't know what their potential is going to be until probably about January, uh, where you need to first see them how they play the first month of the season, and they go through all the hiccups. And then the second month of December is when all the teams recognize what those players' tendencies are, and they adjust. And so then the test is, well, how do the rookies counteract that? And so we... I won't know that answer. I don't think anyone will really know that answer uh, until January for either of these guys. But I think because of the circumstances D'Angelo is facing, I, I don't think he'll win up the other year. Right, so from the young calf to the old bull, we got to talk Kobe. <laughs> he's still a spring chicken. Yeah, that's what he'll tell you until he's like 85 yeah. years old. Um, you've been he a- could be walking on one leg and he'll say he's fine. And you know what's interesting? He tore his uh, his rotator cuff at his shoulder last season, you know, that sidelined him. Mm-hmm. He was shooting with his left hand and dribbling with his left hand, where it's obvious this is bad. And he was still in the locker room, has a back over his shoulder, and he's like, I'm fine, you know. Just got to get some treatment tomorrow. I'll be, I'll be ready to go play the next game. You have, that's what he does. That's what makes him him. That's what made Jordan Jordan. It's just these guys that that's all they have. It's that kind of maniacal uh, element to their thinking. But yeah, that's not he's not changing now. He's been in the league 19 years. It's not going to be any different this season. 
Yeah, and that's going to be the interesting thing about him because he'll change his game. I mean, he's a very fundamentally sound player. So, you know, he can be that jump shooter that Michael Jordan became at the end of his career, and he's shown that. Um, he's not going to be trying to dunk and all that, but I think the, the challenge for Kobe is knowing how to dial back. Um, what's interesting about him is he's very religious about his training regimen, and he knows his body very well, and he does all those right things, but at the same time, he pushes himself to the limit. And I think that he's receptive to resting on back-to-backs, having minute limitations, because he knows where he's in his career. But the challenging thing, I think, for him with accepting that is when the Lakers inevitably go through some adversity, uh, that's going to test his patience, because what's going to happen is some of these young guys are going to go through the ropes and they're going to struggle. And Kobe is going to start feeling, okay, I have to do everything now. I need to take matters into my own hands. And that's what happened last year. He came in with the intentions he's going to do less, but the team was awful. And then eventually he just kept jacking shots up. And if you look at the numbers, completely inefficient, uh, weren't good shots. But if you looked at the games, if you looked at the roster, I would say he should have shot more. Um, but it's a really interesting position he's been in um, because of how the roster's set up and just his own mentality that I don't really think he's in a position to really write the last chapter that he wants to write. Not many of us get that opportunity, especially in sports. So, it, yeah, I think that'll be one of the more interesting subplots, especially for a team that's lottery bound, as we've as we've discussed you have any good Kobe stories in terms of covering him? He ever bark at you for asking a stupid question or uh, try and take you one-on-one with a hand tie behind his back after a practice, anything like that? <laughs> He's never looked me up one-on-one. I would say this, and you would appreciate this. I came in covering the Lakers um, with diminished expectations with Kobe. I was told he's very difficult to deal with. Uh, and all this stuff. And, you know, he can be challenging at times, but I, it was drilled in my head. Kobe's, you know, all the swear words you can think of. Um, but when I came in, I thought, you know what? This is nothing compared to dealing with how Jim Beheim was. <laughs> and look, I think part of that was because, you know, we're students and, you know, I think we did the right stuff, but it's just, it's just different. Right. Um, so I think Kobe can be difficult, but I think he's mellowed with age. I also started covering him at a time where he had just started winning championships again. I, I wasn't around when, you know, he was fighting with Shaq and his legal situation with Colorado was going on. He was demanding a trade because he didn't like how the Lakers were building, were rebuilding. Um, so I kind of caught him at the good years of his career in terms of how he deals with the media. But at the same time, um, you know, there's a challenge of being able to get some one-on-one access and being able to pull them to the side. But I think by and large, if you ask intelligent questions, he will give you intelligent answers. Uh, if you ask dumb questions, he'll be sarcastic. And, you know, sometimes he'll give me a hard time, but it's been few and far between. And I'm not acting like I have any kind of special rapport with Kobe at all. Um, I'm sure that he looks at me like he does most media members. 
Um, but I would say that I feel like for the most part, I'm very rarely asked him any questions that he's just like, what the hell are you thinking? And at the same time, Kobe, as with a lot of athletes, they, contrary to what most people think, they don't get bent out of shape if you ask them critical questions. In all honesty, a lot of them want you to do that because they know what's being written about. They know, you know, what's being talked about on TV. So in a way, it's it's their chance of addressing certain things and giving them the platform to defend themselves. And at the same time, I think you gain some respect when you show you're, you're not afraid of doing what you're supposed to do because um, it shows that you're not here to be a fanboy. You're here to do your job. And that doesn't mean you have to be antagonistic, but it's just like, hey, I want to ask what people that follow the NBA and are fans of basketball want to know. So uh, by and large, I got no complaints covering Kobe Bryant. And, you know, on top of that, a lot of people are interested in, in what he is. So that's definitely good uh, for us media members that cover him. Does the asking critical questions thing apply to, say, a Nick Young, too? Because I feel like he doesn't like getting any kind of criticism. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say this. I do have a good relationship with Nick, but he uh, he has gotten upset with me from time to time. The, the most notable incident was last year. Um, he and Byron did not get along, which is not a secret, uh, so much that the Lakers tried trading him. Uh, this off season, but he is still on the Lakers because no one wanted him. And so he routinely showed up to game as late. And for people who don't know kind of the routine, a game typically starts at seven 30 and it's most coaches have a rule that you need to be in the locker room at least by six. And most guys show up to games a lot earlier than that. You know, some Kobe, a lot of times comes to the arena at 4.30 for a 7.30 game to get his pregame routine down. Well, he's got a helicopter. So he, he can get there whenever he wants. Yeah, exactly. He's got that, and I think he, he kind of cares about you know his craft, right? Not to say that Nick Young doesn't, but he just has a different mindset. Um, but he would routinely show up after that time, and Byron would call him out on it, and he would find him. And so there was an incident where me and another reporter were standing outside the locker room and we noticed Nick strolling in yet again, 15 minutes late. So we had both tweeted that out. Um, and normally it's nothing you really pay attention to. You know, we have other things to monitor on the beat, but we're waiting for the doors to open. It just kind of happened in front of us. And we know the history of him and Byron. So it was, you know, somewhat newsworthy, but he saw my tweet and got upset with me about it before the game. And we like to banter back and forth about a bunch of stuff. Like he's a huge Kanye West fan. I'm a Jay-Z fan. And we always kind of poke each other and poke fun at each other about that. Cause you know, he doesn't care much for how Jay-Z was at the end of his career. And I think Kanye is overrated. So we always kind of bust each other about different stuff. Um, so when he was upset, I thought it was just one of those things that he was just busting on me. But after the game, I asked him a question and he refused to answer my question in front of all these other reporters. He started calling me a snitch and said, you know, you got me fine. You got me in trouble. I'm not talking to you again. Oh, Mark, and snitches get stitches, my... bro. I know exactly. <laughs> I stood up for myself. I was like, look, show up on time. Like, 
you know, do your job, right? Um, I didn't back down from it, but then it got to a point where he was, you know, trying to be theatrical about it. And I had other people to interview and what I'm done with this. You know, I said what I said, but I'm not going to keep engaging with this. So I walked away from him and, and interviewed other players. And after that, I cleared the air with him and, you know, did not apologize whatsoever and said, you know, I stand by what I did. I have nothing against you personally. And he kind of played it off a little bit. But since then, he has liked to joke with me that uh, he, he says that I'm a con man because I will talk to players and, you know, I'm friendly and, you know, I would consider myself an outgoing person. But then he says, you know, I do that to get them comfortable and then I will start trying to stir stuff up, uh, you know, to stir the pot. Because there was one time later on in the season when I was asking him about Byron's criticisms and Nick kind of popped off about it. And that was not my intention to, to get him to pop off, but it was something I was kind of brewing. And so when he did, I know, I know that Byron got upset with him about it. So it's been kind of a running joke that, you know, uh, I'm just there to kind of stir the pot in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. And and like you still have potentially, if you want, you know, 10, 20 years covering this team, that could definitely be something that can get your name up there for any future free agents or draft picks. Got to be careful. <laughs> No, we'll it, see. I mean, you never know how this business uh, evolves or what happens. But, you know, I love what I do. And, you know, I would have never mapped out, hey, I'm going to cover the Lakers. But I always grew up as first a fan of the NBA and then college basketball and then NFL and college football. But I was so open to doing either of those sports. But, you know, now that I can be in a position to choose, you know, I think the NBA is what it's all about just because of the sport and the personalities um i don't think any league can top it yeah i want to talk to you about that because our, our mutual friend and fellow successful beat writer uh zach berman he was on the podcast uh a few <laughs> you weeks got ago ZB in there? yeah we got zb in there he came on the show uh back at the beginning of football season to talk about covering the eagles and what that's like obviously in the nfl and it's it's really interesting to me the differences between covering the NFL and the NBA or any other league because every league has its weird uh, kind of different machinations and everything and the personalities and the whole mix. He's covering a team that's 53 guys, a whole staff of coaches. Uh, you know, it's one day a week, but there's so much going on all the time. You're working on a beat that's the same, you know, 12 to 15 guys and you get to know these guys and you see their faces and you spend more time with them and it's a bit more intimate. What do you think, is it good? Is it bad? What do you like, dislike about the NBA structure where you're really, of all the major sports in America, you're covering the tightest knit group of guys, really the smallest group and seeing them the most. Yeah. You know, as far as like whether what's good or not, I'm all about transparency, whether it's good or bad. So like selfishly, and I just think for society not to like, you know, this isn't like life or death and there's a lot more important things than covering, you know, sports. But I think what I like about the NBA is that every player is his own man. Um, they have more security because they have guaranteed contracts, which the NFL doesn't. And it's a, it's a star driven league. So because of that dynamic, every player, um, you know, Lots of them, especially the star guys, they have their own publicists, they have their own agents. Um, and so with that, 
if there's ever any situation where they're unhappy about their role or a coach or anything, they'll be more inclined to speak honestly than someone on the NFL because they know that they can just be cut like that. And you can't even compare it to college, as you know. I mean, the coaches in both basketball and football completely dominate, you know, the program in terms of how they're covered and the control they have. Um, so I like the NBA because there's so many layers where you get the players being open about what they want. Um, you have coaches who, you know, they're unfortunately for them, they're basically hired to be fired a few years later. So they have their own agenda to also push. And then you have the front office, which uh, has their own agenda to push as well. So I think from a reporter standpoint, I love that because you're getting different perspectives and you're getting a sense of, you know, what certain people feel about a certain player and vice versa. And I think it really makes four great stories. Um, you know, there would not be a situation like with Nick Young being honest about how he was frustrated with Byron Scott being critical of him that much in the NFL or certainly in college sports, because if they said that they would probably be gone the next day. How do you feel like you fit into the larger landscape? Because you say you can get sort of those Nick Young situations because you, you talk to this guy every day and maybe he feels more comfortable around you. You can get these unique perspectives, but you're also a young guy who's been doing this for a couple of years. So you have your, your sort of street cred already, but you're dealing with guys who've been covering this team for years. Who's the, the LA Times guy, Bresnahan, something like that? Yeah, Mike Bresnahan. Well, yeah. he's been doing it forever. But then also, it's not like you're covering the Bucks in Milwaukee that no one's ever checking in. you got to deal with the, the Mark Steins and the David Aldridge's and stuff that are checking in on a national level. How do you feel you fit in trying to get that access and work those relationships and scoop people and get sources and maintain it when you're dealing with literally every other reporter in the country because it's such a high-profile team? No, it's, it's a very tough job, and it's, a, it's literally a day-to-day process. I, I think the best way to answer that is that you're having two different challenges. You have the elements of having to play defense, of you know, breaking news, trying to make sure that you're not missing anything that other people are reporting, you know, that Yahoo and ESPN and Sports Illustrated and then your competitors. Uh, you know, for me, it's the LA Times, Orange County Register, and ESPN LA. Um, those are all the different traveling beat writers. Um, so you have to basically try to cultivate relationships with as many agents, players, coaches, behind the scenes people on the team uh, in terms of equipment managers, trainers, security guards, um, you know, public relations people, and, and just try to use that to your advantage where you find out things other people don't. And then also the other thing is, what do you do different? And that's something that, frankly, all of us do. We all try to land exclusives. We try to think of original story ideas, a lot of enterprise stories. Um, so, for example, I did you know, a preview piece about Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle about this trio and what their potential is. And a lot of people are writing about that, but the way I tried to go about it differently was try to pull some of those guys to the side when they had a quick minute. So I had some quotes that no one had, you know, pull Byron to the side for a quick minute where he told me, Hey, he thinks these guys will be able to make multiple all-star games. So it's a never ending process. And the thing that's interesting is, you know, there's one day 
you know, I could get a scoop like, you know, with this unfortunate situation with Lamar Odom, you know, reporting that, hey, he's starting to do physical therapy and he's being transported from a Las Vegas hospital to L.A. You get that scoop and you feel good about yourself. But then the next day, another writer has a scoop about something else. So I think it's kind of cuts two ways where you don't beat yourself up too much where uh, when you get beat, cause it's like, you know, come back the next day and, and put up another fight, but you also don't get too, um, you know, much of an inflated ego when you have a big story, because you know that uh, adrenaline rush only lasts basically a day. What a drug the scoop is, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, give me your quick, I mean, <laughs> so it keeps you coming back. Uh, I don't want to have to, you to have to belabor it too long. So I'm sure you've written enough pros on it and a lot of people have spilled enough ink and talked on the mic on it, but give me your 10, 20 second take on, uh, on the whole Lamar Odom situation. You know, it's been crazy. Um, it's hard to go. I mean, if you, if you're fine, I can go in depth with it because it's a really, it's a sad story, but it's just been unbelievable we found out about that situation where you know he was found unconscious at a las vegas brothel incidentally the night the lakers had a preseason game in las vegas so we had heard about it a little bit just before the game started and then a lot of us talked to the players afterwards kobe had already left to visit lamar at the hospital but i still remember to this day uh you know two weeks you know later how Meta World Peace um, had his eyes were shot. It looked like he was just about to burst out crying because, I mean, at the time, people thought Lamar was about to die. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I mean, it was not a joyful experience to go through at all. And at that point, you know, you drop your journalistic pretense and it's just like, we're people. Like, I feel terrible. I feel awful. Like, and I don't know Lamar, obviously, as well as these guys do. But in a way, like, it actually affected me as well because I covered him for two and a half seasons. And he's the nicest guy you could ever meet. And he obviously has a lot of demons that, you know, some of it's self-inflicted and some of it, you know, is rooted from a lot of his family tragedies he's gone through. Um, but it, it's, it was just awful. And because I was in Vegas already, I stayed an extra day to try to talk to witnesses outside of the hospital. And I went to the sheriff's office, uh, which was about an hour from Vegas later that afternoon. And they played the tapes of the 911 call. The 911 calls where witnesses are telling, you know, the dispatcher, hey, um, you know, there's this gentleman who was Lamar. He's not breathing. We don't know what he's doing. There's, you know, his eyes are red and there's white stuff coming out of his nose and his mouth. And it was very graphic to hear. And, you know, covering that was interesting because in one respect, it was kind of cathartic because it was so busy. I didn't really have time to think. But because that's the story I'm covering, it was very draining and very depressing. And it's gotten better since you know, there's signs that he's improving and all that, but I don't think that there's a feeling that it's going to be easy um, for him. Even if he gets through this, 
there's a feeling from the people I've talked to that this is going to be life altering for him where he's going to be going through a lengthy physical therapy and he's going to have to get a kidney transplant and there might be a lot of permanent damage to his brain. Um, so it, it hasn't been fun at all to cover, obviously. Um, but it's obviously something that will stick in my mind forever. I think the part you mentioned about just dropping the journalistic pretense, I mean, that's that's the most important thing, I think. Everyone assumes, even if you're cynical about the media, oh, when a story like this comes along, you must love it. It's eyeballs, it's clicks, it's this, it's that. Hell no. But no, it's I don't the farthest, it furthest all. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had some talk, you know, I've talked with some, you know, people in the Lakers, like players, about just the difference with TMZ and us, like, there's a huge difference like TMZ and all the entertainment outlets, like they're thriving on this and, you know, they talk to sources, they have sources, but it's like whatever people tell them, they don't go through the process of double checking everything. And for me, like I'm a sports writer, I'm not getting into the Kardashian element and, you know, his personal life. I'm getting into how is he doing? What progress is he's making? And even with it being positive development, I haven't been writing anything until I check, you know, with six other people and, you know, where I get the information from, you know, I have to make sure I protect the paper trail so people don't know who's leaking because it's very sensitive. And, you know, obviously he has a right to privacy, but at the same time, this is information that, you know, Laker fans do care about, about his well-being and people on the team. And so you have to be very careful about it. And so all that being said, you know, when we say we don't have any rooting interest, it's always about like, we don't care if they win or lose or, you know, someone has a good game. The two rooting interests I always have, obviously something like this, I want Lamar to pull through, obviously, but also I never want to see a player get hurt. Uh, not because it's like, oh, it'll hurt the team, but, you know, that's, personal thing that, that's a painful thing and you always want them to feel like you know they're not going through such personal turmoil yeah you want it's almost like as a sports fan you want the teams you want your team to win on all even ground you don't want it to be because somebody else got hurt or because some of some fluke call. Right, right. and same thing when you're covering you want it to everything be just normal and have everybody do their best, and if that's not good enough, that makes a good story. If it's great enough, then that makes a good story too. But you want it on even ground, uh, for lack of a better exactly, phrase. exactly. But you know that kind of reminded me. You're mentioning to me about Kobe's stories. I would say the biggest thing that stuck out to me was the night he tore his Achilles. Um, this is April 2013, and this kind of goes to what I was telling you about how you know as difficult he can be, and you know, make no mistake, there are people in the organization and former teammates that do not like him. But at the same time, there are a lot of former teammates and current ones that do like him. It's kind of, you take the good with the bad. But all that being said, the number one story that sticks out to me with Kobe is the night he tore his Achilles, he to the media for a good 10 to 15 minutes immediately after that. And I don't say that because it's like, oh, like, you know, we got an interview with him. I think it was more impressive with the fact that in such a bad state that he was in where he didn't know if this is the end of his career, and obviously this was a huge thing that would doom their playoff chances, 
he faced the music and it wasn't to appease us, but I think it was psychologically to say, Hey, I'm going to start tackling this challenge right away. And I think it was also to show his teammates, you know, Hey, this is how you handle adversity head on. And I know when I've talked with their training staff and teammates, that image still sticks with, with them because of how much he was willing to expose his vulnerability at that point, but in a way, it made him appear very stronger, appear a lot stronger because it showed that, you know, he's going to fight through this somehow and at least make the effort. And that's Black Mamba in a nutshell, right? That's indeed. All right. Well, that leads for us better or for, for better or for worse. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> Dwight Howard. <clears throat> um, we're <laughs> we're going to move on to the speed round now, Mark. This is the part of the, of the end of the show where I like to give everybody a couple of. Uh, quick hitters that we run through and it's a good transition a good segue because Kobe is uh, the first question I wanted to ask you about so I'm going to give you a hypothetical Kobe keeps getting older but you stay the same age you are now how old would Kobe have to be before you could beat him in a game of one-on-one <laughs> he would have to basically be 90 years old in a wheelchair and I'm allowed to still you know I'm still able to walk and run around the court so he would probably have to be 90 years old. Because <laughs> you used to ball, right? Back in high school, weren't you Weren't you a basketball player? Or am I not remembering yeah, that? Yeah, I, w- I would say that's an exaggeration. I didn't even make my middle school team. Oh, well, then I, I really my- hyped you up for no reason. Yeah, exactly. I played on my ninth grade team, but I didn't see a lot of playing time. So I knew very early, uh, you know, the NBA was not on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're covering it. That's why I got into sports journalism. I knew I couldn't play, exactly. so I figured they could pay me to watch. Um. <laughs> I'll I'll leave up to your interpretation what the word favorite means, but who's been your favorite Laker to cover in your time there? Hmm, I would say that's tied between two people. Um, I would say Ron Artest, he's now called Metal World Peace, and Pal Gasol. Those two guys, they couldn't be any more different. I mean, obviously, uh, Meta's known as kind of being a goofy guy. He obviously has that history of being involved with, uh, you know, the darkest moment in NBA history at the brawl. Pal is obviously a very, uh, you know, very pleasant, uh, you know, Spanish player and all that. Um, but in a way they are similar because both of those guys are just very gracious. Um, and I would say Lamar's in there too, but I, I would, I have more familiarity with Pal and Meta because, they were around the Lakers longer, you know, during the time I was covering them. And then also, um, you know, I obviously got to know them with just being on the road and they are just, what you see is what you get. Um, very friendly. There's no aura about them. You can talk to them about anything, you know, that has nothing to do with basketball. And even though, you know, I don't think anyone will mistake Ron as an intellectual person, but he is very smart. Um, he's very perceptive, uh, and I think part of his goofiness, he does it as a defense mechanism and to just troll the media. But that being said, they're they're just very worldly. You know, Meta's done a lot of things with mental health charities. You know, Pal's done a lot of things with UNICEF. Um, you know, and I've talked to both of them about those efforts, and I've seen them be involved with some of their philanthropic efforts where Meta's gone to you know, UCLA and talk to mental health patients about his story, you know, growing up, uh, you know, in a fragmented family and having psychological issues and, 
you know, having anger issues. And then I see Pal, um, you know, visiting children's hospital out here in LA and, uh, you know, really talking to them and showing a, a genuine interest in them. And so I think because I've gotten to know them more than just basketball players, uh, those would be the two favorites that I've covered over the years. Let's kick it to the current roster. If you could trade lives with any current Laker for a week, just for a week, so not full time, just for a week, whose life would you whose life would you want to be or have? I should say. Hmm. That's a very difficult question because I would say. I would say Kobe. I mean, obviously, the easy part is like, okay, he makes a lot of money. He's going to make $25 million and he is who he is. But I, I would want to be him just to kind of get a better sense of, like, what's it like? You know, like, what makes him tick? What's the journey like that he has to go through every single day where he has to rehab and get treatment and get massage therapy, and then he's waking up at 5 in the morning to do workouts? I think it would kind of be cool to just go through that grind. And another thing that I've appreciated about Kobe over the years is, you know, whether you like him or you don't like him, no one will dispute how devoted he is to his craft. And I think it's a really good example. These guys are human beings and they're not philanthropists. And, you know, there's a lot of people who do a lot more important things than play basketball. But I think he is a good example of what it really means to be dedicated to your craft and wanting to improve and being obsessed with it. And in Kobe's mind, you know, it may lead to an unbalanced life, but he loves what he does. So it doesn't feel like work. And so I, you know, on a much smaller scale, love what I do and it doesn't feel like work. So I kind of feel like I can relate to that. So all that being said, I think it would be intriguing to see what it's like to kind of go through that process. And it'd be great to get twenty five million. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only for the week, so you don't be getting a small prorated portion, but okay, well, more, yeah, portion you're still... would still be substantial enough. <laughs> All right. I think I forget who maybe it was Jordan or someone else who said that you'd want to be me for a week, but not for six months or something like that. And I think Kobe right. that would apply there too. And to be honest, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it's extremely difficult for all these guys. Uh, I mean, especially Kobe, because they are under such a microscope. They don't get a lot of privacy. And the attention they get, um, you know, I'm sure it's cool. And obviously, it's a nice lifestyle and there's perks. But, you know, I think it really makes you suspicious of people and what your intentions are, you know, who's genuine. And it's not about just people who are mean or nice, but like, why are they mean to me? Why are they nice to me? Do they have an ulterior motive? What's genuine? And and I think that part of the celebrity, I, that would be really hard to deal with. What's the best NBA arena for uh, a member of the press? What are the best accommodations? What's your most favorite building to visit? Well, Let's see. I don't think that there's ever an arena that serves a great pregame meal. And I think part of it's my own fault. I've been trying to eat healthier. So I know that uh, our obesity rate in our field isn't the greatest. So I've been trying to go out of my way to buck that. Um, But I would say the best facility in terms of the atmosphere and all that and the seats 
I would say it would be Oklahoma City. They have a very great arena. Um, this town obviously can't compare to L.A., but the hotel accommodations, a lot of the hotels are within walking distance to the arena. And as of now, knock on wood, it doesn't change. We still get a courtside seat. And you can't say that about most NBA arenas. Um, sometimes they're behind the basket. Sometimes they're high up uh, below the suite. And there's still great views, but in terms of wanting to be able to see the interactions on the bench, sometimes hear exchanges on the court, it's obviously the best to uh, be able to get that courtside seat. So I would say I would go to Oklahoma City. I didn't think uh, Chesapeake Energy Arena or whatever it's called was on my <laughs> sports bucket list, but maybe I'll think about putting it you on know, there. And you know what? It's uh, it's kind of people compare it to a college town, so it kind of reminds because yeah, that's all they what got it was there. Like the carrier, <laughs> so it kind of reminds me what it was like at the carrier dome. Yeah, it won't be like that this season, that's for sure. Um, no, no, all right, probation Mark. does that to you, right? It does. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Mark. Last question for you: The Lakers will not win another NBA title before at least the blank season. Hmm. So let's see. We're entering the 2015-16 season, and I didn't major in math, but I know <laughs> that. Uh, let's see. I think it'll take them four years before this rebuild gets through where, you know, they need to get a free agent um, that's in his prime to help these young guys. And these young guys need to develop. And it also takes time to make inroads against a very tough Western conference. So with all that, I think they will not win a title until four years from now, which is 2019. June June of 2019, they will win. All right. Book it now. You heard it. Mark, uh, plug yourself. Where can people find you online, on social media? Where can they uh, hit you up, find out about your Lakers coverage? Give it to them. Okay. Twitter handle. It's my name, Mark G, which is my middle initial. Mark G underscore Medina, M-E-D-I-N-A. Uh, and that's Mark, with the, that's Mark with the K, right? Of course, yeah. Okay. Just making no one sure. Knows it with a C. I have one of my <laughs> one of my oldest friends from seventh grade spells it with the C, but oh, that's, really? that's why I always the, have to ask. Parents did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Mark with a K, G underscore Medina, um, and then the email address is just as easy. It's Mark dot Medina, M E D I N A at langnews.com. All right, there you go. Uh, have fun this season. I know you guys got a long road trip at the very beginning, so uh, enjoy the travel. And definitely, thanks for coming on. And uh, whether whether they whether they're terrible or whether they make a surprise run, I hope for your sake they're entertaining either way. Uh, so yeah, for that, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you. They never fail to do that, so I'm confident it will happen again this year. All right, sounds good. Again, check out Mark online and make sure to check out MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of the show. You can catch uh, everything on there. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Mike Janella. And you can also find on the website all the great information for the intro and the outro music to the show that you're hearing right about now. Thanks again to Mark Medina for stopping by. Thanks to you for listening. Make sure to subscribe, like, download us on iTunes, and we will do better next time. See ya.